Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. This guy's literally been following me in circles yes, for like 40 minutes. Tonight, possible new developments on the disturbing story of women who say they've been stalked by a man in Vancouver. Plus... The seniors aren't going to be able to afford it. Paying more for a system fewer people are using. And... Can you give me six feet, please? Threats and intimidation. The ironic behavior by so-called freedom rally protesters. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news. Vancouver police say they have identified a person of interest in connection with a high-profile stalking case. Nadia Stewart joins us from outside of Vancouver Police Station. Nadia, you've heard from the victim. What is she saying? Yeah, I spoke not too long ago with the victim. She says she did come down to the police station after they contacted her to let her know that there was a person of interest that they had in custody. She is confirming for us tonight that this is not the man who was seen following her in that video. Now, just to remind our viewers of that incident, take a look at the video. The woman you see here in the video is Jamie Coots. She was on her way just to run some errands when a man wearing a mask began following her. She says he followed her for about 40 minutes as she walked for blocks and blocks through Chinatown and Tinseltown to try and avoid him. Finally, she walked to a skate park nearby, and that is where she found safety in numbers. Her parents' stalker stopped following her. Now, the incident left her and many others who saw the video feeling very shaken. Now, just a few hours ago, police sent out a press release saying that there was a person of interest that they were looking into in connection with this stalking incident. But I have spoken with Jamie Coots, and she confirms that when she came down to the police station, she took a look at the photo that police were showing her. She is confirming that this is not the man who you see there in that video who was following her. Her concern is that people might hear the news of a person of interest being in custody and think that everything is okay. But she is speaking to us tonight and telling us that this is not the man who was seen following her. Back to you. Thank you, Nadia. And we have more breaking news tonight. Two Richmond brothers have been identified as the victims of yesterday's double homicide. 25-year-old Chatan Dinsa and 23-year-old Joban Dinsa were found dead inside a home in the 22,000 block of Rathburn Drive in East Richmond after a fire early Friday. Both were known to police. Homicide investigators believe their murders were targeted and linked to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict. A BMW SUV found burning in Surrey is also believed to be connected to the Richmond crime scene. Public transit revenues, particularly in the Lower Mainland, have plummeted due to the persistent low ridership during the pandemic. Well, now transit officials have the added problem of trying to encourage more people to return to the bus, sea bus or sky train as they contemplate a fare increase. Julia Foy reports on public transit's uphill climb. Whether you get around by bus, sky train, 
or CBUS, you may be paying a bit more come Canada Day. I'm already paying more than I should on the bus pass. For people like 59-year-old Phil McClellan, having to pay more for his transit compass pass would be tough. The seniors aren't going to be able to afford it. And I'm almost a senior. The TransLink Board of Directors will be voting later this month on a transit tariff amendment to help deal with a big hole in the budget. It's tough running a regional transportation system right now. And th this is, I think, part of a series of really uh, ongoing, difficult choices that TransLink will be facing. When COVID hit last spring, ridership plummeted to 17% of normal. It came back up to 40% by the fall and is expected to hover at that level till the end of the year. So how can it pay the bills and keep the system rolling? You have a transit funding formula that seems to be very fickle. And I think that that is, I think, really needs to change. That we really need, I think, stable, long-term funding. The proposed fare hikes could average out to a 2.3% increase. For a single trip on a Crumpus card, a Zone 3 ride will cost you 15 cents more. And how will it affect you? Well, obviously, you have to do a little bit more uh, financial planning. For monthly pass users, a three-zone trip will cost you $4 more. I think a lot of people will have challenges with it. I think it'd be reasonable to, like, up it up just a bit, but, you know, not too much. Global reached out to three mayors who sit on the transit board, but no one was available for comment. The proposed rates are actually a deal because in 2018, the board approved rates for 2020 and 2021 that were over 4.5%. But COVID changed that and convincing people to get back on board may take time. Not necessarily just one about price, but then I think ensuring that the public has a confidence amongst the, the safety levels of taking public transit. Julia Foy, Global News. Another group of essential workers is asking why they aren't moving up the vaccine queue. On Thursday, the provincial government announced some frontline workers are set to be vaccinated concurrently with the age-based rollout. Well, now a group of transit workers who regularly travel to and from long-term care centres and health facilities says they should be on that list. Paul Johnson reports. There's an old saying that you can tell a lot about a society by the way it treats its most vulnerable. So BC's fleet of handy dart vehicles and the hundreds who drive them says something about our compassion. It is the service that takes people that are unable to take conventional transit. Mark Beeching is president of the Amalgamated Transit Union in the Lower Mainland, representing the 500-plus handy dart drivers there. If you've ever watched or ridden in one, you know that driving is only a part of what they do. Our drivers have to be very close to both ambulatory passengers and wheelchair passengers. They walk them from door to door and ensure they're safe. So as the vaccination campaign ramps up in B.C., Beeching and his drivers were shocked to find out where they were on the priority list. According to him, no priority. We are horrified that the provincial government doesn't recognize the level of risk that we are undertaking every single day. Beeching says he wrote to the Ministry of Health in December, explaining how social distancing isn't an option for handy dart drivers. Moreover, their typical destinations are hospitals, clinics and labs, high-risk places in a pandemic. We reached out to the Ministry of Health Saturday, who told Global News 
they expect more vaccine to become available in the coming weeks and that their list of eligible workers is likely to change. In the meantime, with only a few hundred drivers in question here, Beeching says an exception ought to be made. Our drivers are feeling like they're being treated as expendable entities, and it's just unfair and it's wrong. Paul Johnson, Global News. The president of the B.C. government employees union says the announcement of frontline workers being vaccinated outside of their age cohorts still lacks clarity for a lot of its members, including unionized child protection workers. We have consistently from the beginning of the pandemic asked for clarity, clarity around mask mandates, um, but especially around the rollout of the vaccine. And unfortunately, last week's announcement didn't provide us that clarity. It's left thousands of our members in the dark about where they stand. So in terms of uh, child protection social workers, for example, we think they certainly meet the qualifications. They work for families in their homes. They travel from place to place. But it's not clear if they are, in fact, included. Same thing with grocery stores. Does that include our liquor store workers? We think it should, but it's not clear. Warehouse workers, again, LDB, are they included? We're not sure. Um, you know, uh, first responders, does that include wildfire fighters? They live in congregate uh, settings. It's not clear. Uh, we have frontline admin service staff. We have so many inspectors. It's not clear. Hmm. With Prince Rupert's mass vaccination campaign running ahead of schedule, health officials on Vancouver Island will be delivering COVID-19 shots to all adults in a handful of isolated communities starting next week. Kristen Robinson has that part of the story. And you can just head on over to that whiteboard just over here. With Prince Rupert poised to become one of the first cities in Canada to see all eligible residents immunized. Congratulations! Several smaller communities on Vancouver Island are set to follow the port city's lead in providing mass vaccinations. I don't think anyone's seen anything like this in our lifetime, have they? It's incredible. Two hours west of Victoria, the small, unincorporated coastal community of Port Renfrew will begin immunizing everyone aged 18 or older on March 24th in two clinics at the local school. With a permanent population of 140 people, Port Renfrew has a close relationship with the adjacent First Nation. They own half the fire department and they, they, they have firefighters and they work together, they own the store. It's very special that the uh, Port Renfrew and the Patchydat are, are getting their early vaccination. This isn't about jumping the queue, this is about um, getting vaccines in arms in an efficient manner. Port Renfrew is one of 13 remote locations with under 4,000 residents that Island Health is fast-tracking for the shot. We're not out of the woods with COVID yet, so keeping people where they're at, bringing vaccine to them is the way to go. In Port Renfrew, officials say the early doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines will give locals the boost they need against a wave of summer visitors. This will protect them all from the thousands of tourists that come to Port Renfrew and Patchydat. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
Some relief for vendors operating at farmers markets as a ban on the sale of non-food items is listed. When the pandemic state of emergency was declared, farmers markets were deemed an essential service. But for a time, non-food vendors like flower sellers and potters were not allowed to make in-person sales. Well, on Friday, Agriculture Minister Lana Popham announced the ban on such sales has been lifted effective immediately. It's a little bittersweet. Um, it's wonderful to be uh, invited back. However, there is a new restriction that has come along with it with the six-foot spacing between the tents, which makes it difficult for market managers to plan. So it's good, but not ideal. So what's this last year, year been like for you guys? Oh, it's been a rough year. It's been a rough year altogether, just with our restaurant and cidery, trying to get people out and it really slowed down a lot in October, November, December, January, February. So we're hoping that the province opens up soon and uh, we can uh, start uh, getting a little bit better. Nanaimo RCMP are searching for a violent offender wanted by Abbotsford police. They say 31-year-old Stuart Forrest has a history of possessing weapons, including replica firearms. He's wanted on a warrant out of Abbotsford for breach of probation. RCMP believe Forrest, who has numerous tattoos, is in the Nanaimo area, but also has connections throughout central Vancouver Island. The search for a convicted murderer and rapist who escaped from a prison in Mission in October has expanded to south of the border. 42-year-old Roderick Muchikika Wanup was last seen in Sumas, Washington, where it's believed someone gave him a ride to Bellingham. Cameras had later shown him boarding a bus to Mount Vernon, then making his way to Everett. He's believed to have several aliases. He was serving a life sentence for the 1998 sexual assault and murder of a 36-year-old mother of three in Winnipeg. The Stanley Park Ecology Society has produced a heat map highlighting incidents involving recent coyote attacks. The bite map, as it's called, documents incidents dating back to December. Red circles highlight where the incidents have occurred. And the largest circle indicates where more than four bites have taken place and trails around the Brockton Oval. And there have been at least 15 attacks on park users reported over the past few months. The Ecological Society says this week there was one report of a coyote confronting a dog on a trail. The BC Conservation Officer Service is heartbroken over the loss of one of its own. Sergeant Steve Ackles died after a lengthy illness, according to a tweet from the CO service yesterday. The longtime officer was often seen in global news coverage as he tackled, tracked rather, cougars and bears and investigated elk poaching incidents. The CO service says Ackles was the epitome of a conservation officer, passionate about protecting the environment, fish and wildlife, and always willing to mentor and train new staff. Ackles was also known for his unmatched work, work ethic, that is. We have to stop complying, stop wearing the mask. Dozens gathered at the Vancouver Art Gallery this afternoon for the city's so-called Freedom Rally, one of many such protests around the country and around the world today against ongoing pandemic restrictions. A similar protest in March was also held in Victoria. So far, no major issues have been reported. A large crowd of COVID deniers also gathered in downtown Kelowna this afternoon. And as Darian Matassafung reports, the demonstration also prompted a counter-protest. Constitutional. <laughs> 
Around 700 people gathered in Kelowna Saturday to protest against the government's COVID-19 restrictions and health orders. They were calling it a freedom rally. The protest took place in downtown Kelowna at Stewart Park around noon. A large convoy of protesters could be seen parading through the city. One of the event organizers proclaimed, now is the time to stand up for what he says in an infringement of Canadian rights. Important to let people know uh, we have a constitutional right of assembly and association and free speech. And it's important to let everybody know that the facts do not support what the government is saying. David Lindsay, who is already facing four fines for hosting previous rallies, says he is fighting his fines in court. Suits have been filed on them. I am going to be challenging them. What I can tell you is one ticket has already been stayed by the Crown, and I expect the rest will be stayed eventually as well. The protest was met by counter-protesters who were across the street. Heather Friesen, a local activist, was one of them. I don't believe any freedoms are being infringed and I believe that they have ulterior motives. Kelowna has become a beacon of hate, and it's because this has been allowed to foster, and no one has checked it. And I am tired of it. And it is time for us as a community to fight back. A BC Supreme Court judge recently ruled that bans on outdoor protests are unconstitutional. The decision stemmed from a court battle between a group of lower mainland churches and the province's ban on in-person worship. Darian Matassafung, Global News. And we have more on that story and the latest example of journalists being harassed at these types of rallies. It's proving to be a real and escalating issue for news organizations trying to cover anti-mask and anti-restriction protests. Can you give me six feet, please? Can you give me six feet, please? As you see from this exclusive video, our very own Darian Matassa-Fung's attempt to cover today's rally while maintaining a safe distance was completely ignored by protesters. He was shoved, insulted, and threatened. Real cool, huh? You take your gag off and stop being a dog. And despite our crew's attempts to cover the rally fairly, objectively, and from a safe distance, they were constantly blocked by aggressive protesters. Given the very hostile environment, it was decided they leave for their own safety. Members of a local church are showing their love to seniors in New Westminster. Local members of the California Zion Church of Canada delivered flowers and handmade letters to residents of the Thornbridge Gardens Retirement Home. Seniors, residents of long-term care facilities, that is, have been particularly cut off by the pandemic. Church members are trying to break the isolation by reaching out to residents with words of encouragement. It definitely affects, I think, everyone, right? Because during this time, um, when you stay home, when you're by yourself, it can affect one's mental health. And I think that connection between people has to be maintained in order to be mentally healthy, also physically healthy as well. More than 300 million people around the world are celebrating the Persian New Year, or Nowruz. That's today. For the second year in a row, the festivities are being marked under COVID-19 restrictions. Nowruz, which means New Day, is an ancient celebration of spring. In normal times, family and friends come together at the Haftzin table to share food, enjoy music, and cherish life's gifts. But with people isolating during the pandemic, many celebrations have moved online. Well, of course, it's different this year, just like last year. 
and uh, people won't be celebrating with family and friends, instead only with their uh, members of their own household, and they won't go into any parties or dinner gatherings outside. And there are uh, virtual events offered online where everyone can join. Uh, they will display the scene, which you can see here, uh, explain what each item represents, play traditional Persian music, and explain a bit about Persian culture and traditions. Happy New Year. Someone in central B.C. might be $13 million richer. The B.C. Lottery Corporation says the winning ticket for the March 19th draw was purchased in the Prince George Mount Robson area. The ticket was the only one sold across the province and across Canada to match all seven winning numbers. The specific retail location where the winning lottery ticket was purchased will be announced after the winner or winners come forward to claim their prize. They have 52 weeks from the draw date to come collect their winnings. Good for them. Tsunami warnings were briefly triggered in northeastern Japan after a 7.2 magnitude earthquake struck the region. Buildings as far as Tokyo shook, but there are no reports of major damage. The earthquake was about 100 kilometers from Fukushima Prefecture, where a devastating 9.0 magnitude quake struck in 2011, killing thousands and causing the country's worst nuclear disaster. An RCMP watchdog has found Mounties in Saskatchewan acted in a racist and discriminatory manner towards the family of Colton Bushy. The 22-year-old was shot and killed in August of 2016. He was sitting in an SUV which had been driven onto the farm of Gerald Stanley. Stanley was acquitted of second-degree murder. Findings detailed in a report by the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission found RCMP discriminated against Bushy's mother when they notified her of his death. It detailed how one officer asked if she had been drinking while another told her to get it together. Police arrested a man for taking a two-year-old child into an elephant habitat enclosure in San Diego Zoo. Have a look at this. Cell phone video captured the incident Friday when an elephant charges the man who trips and drops the child in his arms while trying to escape. The man allegedly carried his two-year-old daughter into the enclosure to take photos. The 25-year-old father was arrested on suspicion of child endangerment. A violent attack on an elderly Asian woman near San Francisco. This 69-year-old East Asian woman was thrown to the pavement and robbed in Daly City Thursday afternoon. Surveillance video shows the suspect running up behind the woman, throwing her onto the street, taking her bag, then running away. No word on her condition. Police say they are investigating the attack, and it comes in the wake of increased anti-Asian hate crimes. The city of Miami Beach, Florida, is taking new steps to improve safety after huge crowds of spring breakers inundated the area. The city's leaders have instituted an 8 o'clock curfew and restricted outside traffic after thousands of spring break revelers packed the Miami Beach Entertainment District, many ignoring COVID guidelines. They've been drawn to the South Florida area by its warm weather, cheap flights and lax health restrictions. The Tokyo 2020 Olympics and Paralympic Games will go ahead in July, but without international spectators. Organizers say the risk is just too great. Refunds promised for the, are promised for the 600,000 tickets sold to fans overseas and 300,000 sold for the Paralympics. 
A new wine in France has more than fermented grapes in it. For the first time in that country, an entrepreneur has combined wine and CBD, the non-intoxicating molecule derived from cannabis. The winemaker is also a hemp producer and says the CBD adds a relaxing effect to the alcohol. Orders are already coming in from Colombia, Israel and Mexico. In Health Matters tonight, it turns out it's not just eating breakfast, but when you eat it that counts. New research suggests eating an earlier breakfast could reduce the risk of type 2 or adult-onset diabetes. The Northwestern University study included data from over 10,000 adults. It showed people who ate breakfast before 8.30 a.m. had lower blood sugar levels and less insulin resistance, regardless of when they finished eating. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. For the day. Oh, he hit it. The happy ending to that horrific crash. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, happy first day of spring. Happy first day of spring, Colleen, and to everyone. A uh, bit unsettled for today, but we've got lots of time uh, for temperatures and some of the conditions to improve. And we are actually going to be tracking some uh, snowfall if you're traveling along highway passes for higher elevations. And I'll have more on the timeline and the amounts because there is a significant amount. Great shot and photo that was taken in West Kelowna, so thank you so much Paul as we get in tonight a heads up it is going to cool off we're dipping down to three overnight and the potential for some rain starts to develop as early as the morning hours we're looking at wet snow for higher elevations the usual spots Westwood Plateau Burnaby Mountain will be included within that and a cooler day in store for tomorrow with temperatures just getting up to five degrees here's a quick snapshot of what we're seeing so we'll hang on to that cloud cover but it's actually this weather maker that is going to push in right across the southern half of the province and the timeline so it's still cloud cover with a chance of showers but the moisture really does start to pick up by the morning hours and it's higher elevations. The island will be included, Port Alberni, with the potential for some wet snowfall and then changing over to rain. We'll start to see a nice break on the way as we get an overnight leading in towards our Monday. We'll be back into some sunshine and temperatures will rebound once again. Heads up though for the mountain passes, check in with drivebc.ca, but I've broken this into two parts. For tonight, this is the snowfall amounts that we're looking at along the Coke and Kootenai Pass with up to five centimeters, but tomorrow these are additional amounts along the Kootenai Pass with that range between 15 and up to 25 centimeters. For the Coquihalla, up to 20, Allison Pass, and then Whistler, especially areas that are north of Brandywine, five and up to 10 centimeters, and the connector could see that potential between four and eight centimeters. So we still do have a significant amount of snow. The Valley will start to see that snow level rising through the morning. Now along the north coast tomorrow it'll be wet and windy. We will see the winds potentially 50 and up to 70 kilometers per hour. Inland could even start off with some flurries, wet snowfall and then changing over to rain. Similar across the central interior in a few spots in the Colombian Kootenai. Most of the tops in Okanagan it'll be higher elevations with that chance for some flurries changing over to showers. Whistler tomorrow we'll see snowfall for the early morning hours in all areas across the south coast so higher elevations for our our first full day of spring, we'll be looking at that wet snow and then changing over to rain. Nice break on the way, though, for Monday. We're back into some sunshine. and It'll bump up to temperatures into the double digits with highs up to 10. Colleen? At some point, I'll get my snow tires removed. Yes, some at point. At some point. Some point. Not yet.
<laughs> Thanks, Yvonne. An Amtrak train from Seattle to Los Angeles hit a utility truck on the tracks in Oakland, California, and the truck driver, he escaped just in time. Have a look at this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's going to hit it. Oh, my God. Whoa. It happened Thursday morning as the man was loading debris into the truck. That's when the vehicle became stuck on the tracks. The man saw the train approaching and jumped out of the way. The truck burst into flames on impact. You can see here the aftermath of the incident. Thankfully, neither the man nor any of the train's 100 passengers and crew were hurt. Oof. I would get your heart rate up a little yeah. bit. When it's not your time, it's not your time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Thank uh, goodness. It's going to be your time soon, and I mean for your sports cast, Barry. Yeah, in a few minutes by then, perhaps the Canucks will have beaten the Habs. Perhaps they would have lost. It's 4-4, very late in the third. Uh, Canucks have battled back a couple of times, so uh, we'll have lots of highlights of that one coming up. And in the NBA, LeBron James could have a very serious ankle injuries oh. suffered today. We'll uh, show you that as well. Come okay, up. thanks, Fair. A new school program in Prince George's breaking the ice on subjects most kids never get a chance to learn. Classrooms full of students who actually aren't in class. They're outdoors learning skills practiced by Indigenous peoples for thousands of years. As CKPG's Caden Fanshawe shows us, it's a program that's really catching on. Aim it right at that char cloth. Kids from a number of different schools in SD57 have been learning the skills of ice fishing and survival here over the last month. The fishing... It's not that bad. I'm getting nibbles, but they're just not taking the beat. That's not, not really good. We've been, I've been out here about four or five times now and we've not gotten anything. But it's more than just fishing these kids are after. It's a chance for Jackson and others to step away from a classroom and embrace hands-on learning. It's awesome. I love doing hands-on. Uh, you know what? I feel like I learn better when I have my hands on it. But that's just me. Other people, they learn better when they're reading a book. But I like to be more hands-on. Reed Roberts and his team have pushed the idea of more land-based learning. It's funny because a lot of kids don't realize I'm a teacher. Scotty, why don't you get some of these bigger sticks going? After seeing students struggle with the traditional reading, writing, and arithmetic, many are flourishing out here. Well done, buddy. Thanks. School District 57 has been a big fan of the program so far. Robert says the transformation of students' attitudes have been a reminder of why he became a teacher. This outdoor opportunity all started with a couple of kids, which has now grown to include multiple schools. Just, just seeing people uh, be outside and to do things. Um, we had some new Canadians out la two weeks ago, um, so they'd never seen a Canadian winter, and we got to bring them out ice fishing, which is, it's, it's just so cool to do that with people. A program with big plans for the future, all about making a connection with the students. Caden Fanshawe, CKPG News. Okay, just before we get to Barry, NCAA basketball administrators have apologized to women's basketball players and coaches for the obvious inequities between the men's and women's tournaments at this year's March Madness. I got something to show y'all. So for the NCAA March Madness, the biggest tournament in college basketball for women, this is our weight room. Let me show y'all the men's weight room.
Now, when pictures of our weight room got released versus the men's, the NCAA came out with a statement saying that it wasn't money, it was space that was a problem. Let me show y'all something else. Here's our practice court, right? And then here's that weight room. And then here's all this extra space. If you aren't upset about this problem... University forward Sedona Prince posted that video to social media. During a Zoom call Friday morning with organizers, uh, other differences were raised as well, including how the NCAA pays for the men's national invitation tournament, but not the women's. Administrators admit they fell short this year. This is my passion. I care about women's basketball <clears throat> and women in sport. Um, we fell short this year in what we've been doing to prepare in the last 60 days for 64 teams to be here in San Antonio. And when we don't meet the expectations of that support, uh, that's on me, and for that I apologize. To the women's basketball student-athletes, to the coaches, to the women's basketball committee, for dropping the ball, frankly, on the weight room issue in San Antonio. The situation even prompted NBA superstar uh, Steph Curry to tweet, wow, come on now. Organizers have now fixed the women's weight room. Prince posted video of the changes this afternoon. <sighs> Not surprising, though, no. from the NCAA. They, uh, they go where the money is. It's quite amazing because the uh, athletes, of course, get absolutely nothing, and the universities make millions off their backs. And, of course, the men's tournament does have a much bigger contract, but still, but still. ridiculous. But like I said, not, uh, not surprising whatsoever. All right, thanks, Colleen. Uh, Thatcher Demko has put the Canucks on his back and carried them back into the playoff race. Canucks are 7-1 and one in their last eight. Demko has played every game, and in the seven wins, he's allowed just seven goals. But with back-to-back -back games in Montreal, Travis Green felt he needed to give Demko a break. So Braden Holtby got the start tonight in a crucial game for the Canucks, who could pass the Habs in the standings with a regulation win. It's the ninth and final game versus Montreal this year. The Habs have picked up 13 points, the Canucks just six. So that has been the difference. First start for Holtby in 17 days. Would need to shake off the rust. At least he didn't have to worry about Tyler Toffoli out with a lower body injury. Eight goals, five assists in eight games versus the Canucks this year. Didn't start well. Nick Suzuki on the power play rifles it in. Habs outshot the Canucks. 10-2 in the first and had a 1-0 lead. But Vancouver woke up in the second. Just 22 seconds in on the forecheck. JT Miller forces the turnover. Slides it out front to Jake Bertanen. His fourth ties at 1-1. That's a perfect start to the period. And then on the power play, Quinn Hughes tees it up for Brock Besser, who powders it past Price. Besser can really bomb it. His team leading 16th. He had 16 last year in 60-some uh, games. This year, 16 in just 35. Canucks take their first lead. Uh, they're 2-1. to one. Meanwhile, Good goaltending here by Aholpi, who was sharp all night. Makes the save off Victor Mete, but the Canadians keep coming, and they tie it. Thomas Tatar picks the corner. No chance for Holtby there. Tatar's first in 12 games, and it's 2-2. And then with under two minutes to go in the second, Habs again. Brendan Gallagher kept the play alive, and it's big Joel Edmondson with the screen wrister from the point. Gets through 
that maze of players in front. Once again, no chance for Holtby. 3-2 Habs after two, but the Canucks come out firing in the third. Bo Horvat won the faceoff, then deflects the Quinn Hughes point shot for his 14th. Ties it at three. Horvat, by the way, with career points 300 and 301 today. And then 33 seconds later, Jace Howerluck to Tyler Mott in the slot. Rips it past Price. Four goals on just 14 Canuck shots. They're up 4-3. But no lead safe in this one. Habs win the draw. Philip Deno beats a Brandon Sutter cleanly and Brendan Gallagher wires at home 4-4 very late in overtime the last time we saw. The Habs, though, are 0-9 this year in overtime and shootouts. All right, Flames and Leafs. Calgary 4-1 under Daryl Sutter. Leafs are slumping. They've lost 6 of 7, but late first, 37-year-old Jason Spezza from the sharp angle can still shoot the puck. Roofs it on David Riddick. 1-0 Leafs on Spezza's seventh. And then late second on a Toronto power play, Zach Hyman, or at least just as it ends, on the rush behind the net, swoops out front and fires past Riddick. And that was it as Toronto shuts out Calgary 2 Nothing. Also tonight, Flyers and Islanders. Philly on the outside looking in at the top four in a playoff spot in a very tough division. Isles jump on them quickly already. one nothing. A mad, mad scramble in front of the Philly zone. Uh, net rather, Matt Barzell getting it back to Jordan Eberle who makes it 2 nothing, And then the Flyers give it away at their own line which is never a good thing. Casey Sezikas will snap it past Carter Hart. That made it 3 nothing, and then five minutes later, more from the Islanders. Big pressure, and they get another at Sasikas again. 4 nothing Isles, and they go on to win it 6-1 as the Flyers get thumped again. Peter Lorimer, who is a Leeds United all-time leading goal scorer and also played two seasons for the Vancouver Whitecaps, has passed away. Lorimer played from 1981 to 83 in the NASL in Vancouver and was known to have one of the hardest shots in all of soccer. Peter Lorimer was 74 years old. All right, FA Cup quarterfinals, Everton and Manchester City. No goals until very late. 84th, Man City on the attack. First shot off the crossbar. Ilke Gundogan flying header to knock it into the empty goal. And City was on its way up 1-0. And then in the 90th, it'll be Kevin De Bruyne sent in on the break. And he will blast it past the keeper. 2-0 Man City win it. They are off to the semis along with Southampton, who also won today. Two more FA Cup quarterfinals tomorrow. Bundesliga. Alfonso Davies and Bayern Munich taking on Stuttgart. Uh, it was a short day for Fonzie. Ten minutes in, Davies throws it in, playing the ball, accidentally rakes the foot of Wataro Endo. Initially assessed a yellow, went to VAR, and even though it looked pretty innocent, it was studs down on the foot. Red card, so Davies sent off at the 12-minute mark. Bayern forced to go with ten men the rest of the way, but no problem. Robert Lewandowski once again leading the way. This header is his second of the day to make it 3-0. And then he will score his hat-trick goal in the 35th. He's got uh, 35 league goals this season in 26 matches. He's second all-time in Bundesliga with 271 goals as Bayern is now up by four over Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Third round of the Honda Classic. Very windy conditions in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida today. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin had a pretty good round. This helped par 3 seventh from 37 feet, had it to 500, ended up at 3 under, but he's tied 18th. Merritt's Roger Sloan is uh, tied for 13th after a 4 under 66. So the BC boys in the top 20. Second round leader Aaron Wise off to a great start. Fourth hole, knocks in the birdie putt. 
Got it to 14 under par. He had a six-shot lead at one point, but he gave it all away and unraveled. This short one for Bogey at five made a double as he struggled to a five over 75. He's dropped down to second at seven under as he played the last 14 holes in plus seven. Australian Matt Jones knows how to play in the wind. Nice approach here at the 14th, led to a birdie. He's at 10 under. He's got a three-shot lead at the Honda Classic. As mentioned, Roger Sloan 13th, Adam Hadwin 18th. Hopefully they can make a big push in round four. NBA this afternoon, Lakers superstar LeBron James going after the loose ball, severely injures his ankle, left the game, did not return. He is out indefinitely. High ankle sprains, one of the hardest injuries to heal in season. Lakers lost the game. They're now third in the West at 28 and 14, but a lot of concern that LeBron could be out a while, and when he returns, you know, how good can he be? And also a tennis note, 18-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez of Montreal won her semifinal in Monterey, Mexico, so she's off to the finals tomorrow, and we'll see if we can get some highlights of that one tonight at 11. Sorry, my ankle hurts just looking at that video. It's a hard Ow. injury for any athlete, especially oh. basketball. If you've been grocery shopping lately, you know how expensive it can be, right? Just one reason why this next story has people talking. Some customers in the Edmonton suburb of Beaumont posted to social media that when they went to pay for their groceries, a man and woman were stepping in and covering the cost. Sarah Van Gorkum says she was about to put her debit card in the machine when a man approached her and said, don't worry about it, and paid her bill. It was $85. The experience brought her to tears. I think it's been a hard year for a lot of people. And we've had our hard months as well. And just to have someone just out of the kindness of the heart pay for your groceries is really moving. I don't know who they were, but if they're watching, thank you. That was, that was like, you made so many people's day today. Van Gorkum says that while she was at the store, she watched the couple pay for numerous people's groceries and some had full carts. Isn't that nice? Great story. Great thing to do. You see that in the uh, drive-through once in a while. Yeah. People have done that yeah. for me. And then it makes you want to pay for the next person. For sure. It's a good reminder. Yeah. No, it's lovely. Uh, would you remind us about the <laughs> forecast for tomorrow? Tomorrow we've got a bit of a blip. But we do have a colder day in store. Higher elevations. We'll be looking at some wet snowfall. It is going to ease off, though, and a nice bright spot looks to be on our Monday. We'll rebound once again back into some sunshine. But tomorrow, heads up, a bit cooler and some wet flurries in the mix as well. Second day of spring. Yes. All right. Thanks for that. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Jordan is here at 11. Stay with us now for Donna Friesen and the new reality. Good night.